drive buzzed could be one very expensive ride first you got to make bail then pay me to get your car back your insurance premiums will go through the roof and my legal fees just keep adding up all told it could end up costing you ten thousand dollars buzzed busted and broke because buzz driving is drunk driving greetings and welcome to a sip of inspiration I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and today's show is going to be all about detoxing your relationships. We're going to start off by, talk, by talking about detoxing your relationships with people, because that's usually what people think about first when you say, oh, toxic relationships. And then we're going to end up talking about the fact that you may have actually created a toxic relationship with your money. There is a quote that I want to read to you that I think sums up what happens with toxic relationships very nicely. I was your cure, but you were my disease. I was saving you, but you were killing me. Toxic relationships are defined as a relationship that is characterized by behaviors on the part of the toxic partner that emotionally and infrequently are physically damaging to their partner. Now, any relationship that you're in that has an element of physical violence or substance abuse, those are dangerous relationships and they require immediate intervention. So if you're in those relationships, I wanna ask you right now to seek help. Today we're gonna to talk about relationships that do not have the element of physical danger or the element of substance abuse. And as I said, there are a lot of phone numbers that you can find online and through the operator and other resources if you are currently involved in a relationship that puts you at harm physically or has an element of substance abuse. Now, there are ways to tell if you're in a toxic relationship. So according to some research that I've completed and some notes I have, one is really simple. Your partner is verbally abusive. Now, not one time or two times, because sometimes we all sort of lose it all in the, in the heat of the argument, but that is a pattern. The other is, is the words do not match the behavior. One example of that would be someone who says that, oh, they love you, but then the next thing that comes out of their mouth is a list of things that are wrong with you. So the words that they do not match that behavior or they do things that will actually things that you don't like or things that actually are critical to you. If the relationship makes you feel sad or depressed, if you feel devalued, 
And if often your partner wants you to change things about who you are so they can be happy. If you discover perhaps that your self-esteem is lower since you've been in this relationship as opposed to when you first started the relationship, or if your partner becomes very loving when they think that you're about to end the relationship. All of a sudden one day you say, hey, this isn't working for me, and then all of a sudden they're doing all the things that you wanted them to do and they're very, 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 very loving. That too is a toxic relationship. Now there's been a lot of study about the effect that toxic relationships have on us, not just our physical and emotional well-being, but also our financial well-being. So if you find yourself in any of those situations, depressed, feeling a little bit devalued, feeling like the words and the behaviors don't match, and all of a sudden, every time you look up, you feel like everything is your fault, then you have to change that relationship. The feelings and emotions that you have when you're in that relationship are the same feelings and emotions that you will carry throughout other relationships. They will begin to be infused in your workplace and relationships with other friends, relationship with your family, and of course, relationships with your money. Now, I have found that people know when they're in a really toxic relationship and they want to know how do you get out of the relationship. And the other thing that keeps us stuck is sometimes the toxic relationships are with family members. So newsflash, most of the things that you do or most of the things that, fi that you find are a little damaging to you will be with family members. You have the most interaction with family members. You have the most secrets with family members. You share the most emotional highs and lows with family members. So it would seem and be logical for it to be with a family member. So don't allow that to shock you. So what I want you to start to do to end this relationship is keep an emotional log. I want you to write down the things that happen, summarize them, the date and time, what was going on. And as you keep this log, you will see the frequency that these things, in which these things occur. Now, I used to keep uh, an actual box, and I would write down what happened, stick it in a box, and I would leave it in that box. And then after a period of time, I would go back and read those things and be reminded of all of the things that happened and how they made me feel. It's the how they make you feel that's important. Sometimes the behavior itself doesn't seem toxic, but remember on previous shows we've talked about the fact that your body is your barometer as to how things are going. If something isn't right for you, it first shows up in your body. So if your body isn't feeling comfortable, it's out of whack, or there's a little pain, or you have headache, or suddenly a little nausea, that lets you know that that particular conversation that particular action is toxic to you. I want you to take several sheets of paper and list things that cause you pain. I want you to keep them in key places because I need you to remind yourself, as the quote says, that you are in a relationship where you were their cure, but they have now become your disease. I want you to Start to work on your own sense of self. I want you to mail a postcard regularly to yourself reminding you just how wonderful you are. 
Because sometimes in a toxic relationship, the only voice you begin to hear is that critical voice that tells you what is wrong with you. Everybody was created with a little bit of magic inside of themselves. Everyone is special. We're not perfect, but the perfect weren't, wasn't called. The willing were called, and we are all willing. The next thing I want you to do is to find an organization where you can seek some help from a, rela a toxic relationship organization or a domestic violence organization. And then when you end the relationship, I want you to set aside some time to actually mourn the loss of the relationship. Now, if you feel like you need to go back into the relationship, that's where that box and those sheets of paper that you're going to maintain are actually going to be very, very helpful because they're going to remind you of the reasons that you ended the toxic relationship to begin with. I want you to rededicate yourself to your goals and start to use affirmative statements about how beautiful, powerful, and creative you are. One of my favorite is I am beautiful, powerful, and creative, and I can handle it. I want you to write that down on cards. I want you to put them in your purse, in the bathroom, on the refrigerator, everywhere so you can see that, so you can remind yourself just how wonderful you are. Now we have a lot of relationships in the course of our life and we actually spend a lot of time with various people. I want you to take right now a piece of paper and write down the names of the people that you spend time with. And I want you to think about not just someone that you spend a lot of time with, but all of the people that you would interact with, say, in the course of a week or two. And as you write their names down, we're going to play a little game. You're going to give them a rating system. You're going to write the numbers one through five by their name. You're going to rank them about when you spend time, how do you feel with them? Remember, going back to this barometer that we live in, this body, how do you feel? If they make you feel, feel really good, give them a five. If you feel not so good, get a headache or you want to cross the street every time you see them or you look at the phone and you say you send them the voicemail then you're going to give them a one and then you're going to rank the others the same way one through five the next thing I want you to do is look at your list of people and think about the amount of time that you spend together if you spend a lot of time with that person give that person a five and if you spend a little time, give that person a one. So now you've got two ranks by everyone's name. The first column is how they make you feel when you are together. The second column is how much time you spend with them. Now, I want you to put a circle around the names of the people who make you feel good when you spend time with them. And then I want you to put a square around the names of the people that you spend a lot of time with but make you feel bad. And what you're going to find when you do this is you spend a lot of time with the people who make you feel bad. So now I want you to think of ways that you can spend more time with people who actually make you feel good. People you find motivating and inspiring. People who 
actually are eager to see you win, to see you achieve your goals. I need you to figure out how to spend more time with those people and less time with the people who make you feel bad. As you begin to spend more time with people who make you feel good, you will naturally spend less time with the people who make you feel bad. And you won't have to have what some people fear is the difficult conversation. Now, if it happens that you do have to have a difficult conversation, I always say to my audiences that I think that God created call waiting. So when the people call you and they make you feel bad, just don't take the call. You know who it is, send it to voicemail. And you can take it at a time that you feel really good about yourself or a time when you think it's best for you to take it. And if you have to take the call because it's a family member, then maybe you should set new rules. You should say, starting now, we are going to have uplifting, positive conversations. I am no longer having negative conversations because they make me feel bad. And when you have that conversation, it's going to be a little difficult at first, but as they start with the negative conversations, I want you to say, okay, so I need you to look at that and tell me what good will come, what's coming out of that. That, that experience came to teach you something. What did you learn? And how can you use that to change your life? Because often the negative experiences or the experiences we have deemed negative are experiences that came to teach us a lesson. Nothing is good or bad in its own. Things just are. Sometimes it takes us a while to correct the mistakes that we've made, but even with that, we will all always make mistakes. No one's ever going to be perfect. And perfection is not required. The only thing that is required is the willingness to learn and the willingness to change and the ability to just simply stay focused on your goals. Now, if that toxic relationship is a family member and they call, I want you to have a conversation that is already prepared. I want you to have some notes, things you would like to talk about when you're talking to certain people. I remember uh, once at a family reunion when my mother and father were still alive, everybody talked about how terrible their Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners were. So I developed an exercise and I put three by five cards on everyone's plate and had them write down things that they were grateful for, three to five things that they were grateful for. So at dinner, we would talk about those things and they would, ex they would describe the experiences, what they learned, why they were grateful for them. And that became such a great experience that we, cre we recreated that every time. Then during dessert, the next thing we would have to do is write down three things that you plan to accomplish in the upcoming year and why you want to accomplish those things. And then one step that you can take. So then they begin to talk about all of the things they wanted to accomplish in the upcoming year and why they wanted those things and at least one thing that they could do toward that. Merely having the conversation not only shifted the conversations that we had from and the relationships that we had from toxic to positive, it actually resulted in the next year people beginning to remember exactly what they 
saw themselves doing, and they actually started to take steps toward achieving those goals. And to this day, all of those goals have been achieved. Now, was it easy? No, nah, it probably wasn't easy. As like there's no one, it takes 20 years to be an overnight success. But did they do it? Yes, they did it. So the conversations from that point forward were those kinds of conversations. So we begin to trade positive energy and raise our vibration so that when they called, we were absolutely excited about hearing what they had to say. Now, we always think about toxic relationships as it relate to just people. But are you having a toxic relationship with your money? And you know, I always talk about things in terms of money because money is something you cannot get away from. You may be able to hide from that friend, but you cannot get away from money. And here are 14 signs that were summed up by Wise Bread to help you know if you are having a toxic relationship with money. One is you resent spending it. Something may have happened in your life a while ago, whether it was being laid off or being homeless and money was really tight. So you learn to sort of almost hoard it, to keep it close because money became the thing that you needed the most of. And when you were short, there was no one who could help you. So you had to depend on yourself. So every time you have to spend it, you sort of resent it. So you have actually taken being frugal to the next level. The next thing is that you must spend it. I know my parents had a saying that, oh, that money is burning your pocket, meaning that you had to spend that money no matter what happened. So are you spending money just because you have it? So you're buying things that excite you. You're buying things that you don't necessarily need. You're buying things just because, man, I would look good in that then you've got a toxic relationship to money. So what I want you to do in both of those cases is when it comes to actually spending money, I want you to record the emotions that you're having with the money. If it's that frugal gone bad, because you, you resent spending it, I want you to write that emotion down and we're gonna talk about that emotion. But if you just have to spend it, I want, and you just can't hold on to it, You've got an extra $50 and by God, you can't save it. I want you to write down those emotions too. And what I would like for you to do is find something else that you enjoy doing and doing it first. Something else that makes you excited, something else that makes you feel good, something else that causes that adrenaline to rise in you. And I want you to do that as opposed to just spending every dime you have. One of the next signs that you have a toxic relationship with your money is that you pay your bills at the last minute. Now, I'm not talking about the people who pay their bills at the last minute because they understand that that money, while it is in your possession, is earning interest for you, but the minute you let it go, it's no longer earning interest for you. So if the bill is due on the 1st on the, or the 15th, why pay it a week early? Pay it as close to the due date as possible. That way you're earning as much interest on your money as possible. And they are not earning money. But if you're someone that pays your bills at the last minute all the time because you think there might be an emergency, there may be that rainy day is right now, you might have an accident, you may have to use that money for something else, then you have a toxic relationship with your money. And the fourth one is that you're constantly broke or you're constantly short.
And if you are constantly broke or you're constantly short, what's happening to you is that your budget is either outdated or you're just not being honest with yourself about how you spend your money. In that case, I would like for you to go through your bank statements, your check register, uh, if you have one and if you don't have one, I urge you to keep a check register even if you use a debit card all of the time because I want you to get in the habit of recording what you spend because at a, any given time, you need to go back over that register. You need to summarize those expenses and know exactly how you're spending your money. So maybe you're constantly broke or constantly short because you're spending a lot of money at a vending machine. You're buying way too many potato chips and too much pop. You're buying way too many things that you see on the counter when you, as you walk out the store. And if you don't record those things, you won't know. Because if it's a bad budget, that's easily rectified. The fifth way is that you spend your money before you get it. I find this really interesting, especially around certain times of year when people are expecting an income tax refund or you're expecting a uh, a payment for something and it hasn't come in yet but man you are already spending it what I want you to do is if you're when you're expecting money especially large sums of money or a large influx of cash I want you to sit down and write out how you plan to use that money and in that plan I want you to be sure you include you you include some savings remember we always talk about how to allocate your funds and you have got to take 10% to put aside for retirement, 10% to put in a savings for large ticket items such as vacations or maybe toward the purchase of a car and 10% goes to a charitable organization or tithe. So then you use the rest of the money that's left which is 70% toward your expenses. Another thing that lets you know you have a toxic relationship with your money is that you pay the minimum on your credit cards. If you can only pay the minimum on your credit cards, then you have got yourself in a situation to where you are now tied to debt. And that usually is the first indication of emotional buys. You're using money you don't have to buy things to make you feel good and things that you probably won't even remember you have in six months. So I need you to go back to that record, the same thing with credit cards. If you're paying the minimum, I need you to stop using your credit cards and make a list of all of the debt you have, list it by the highest balance to the lowest balance, and then by the highest interest rates and the lowest interest rates and then I need you to put as much money as you can on the first card, on the first card on that list, and then pay the minimum on the other card because we have got to get you out of financial debt for credit cards. As you pay the minimum, you're going to end up paying about six times the amount that you owe in interest by the time you pay that debt off. The other thing is one is if you resent people who have money. If you resent people who have money, you are looking at the having of money as something being taken from you and nothing has been taken from you. Some people have adopted financial, fin financial habits that have ensured that they have 
enough money to do the things that they want to do. So instead of resenting them, we should look at the things that they do and see if we can actually use and apply some of those habits in our own lives, in our own spending. The next thing is you resent people who don't have money. So it's like you can't have it both ways. Like you don't want, you don't like people who have money and now you're mad at people who don't have money. And sometimes we resent people who don't have money because they're too, we look at them and we say, oh my God, is that who I really am? Do I really do that? Do I look like that? And another thing we think is, oh my God, I'm gonna have to help them out. When you're only responsible for your actions and your habits. You are not in danger of doing what other people do if you've got a good financial plan. The ninth thing is the one that you think money will solve all of your problems. I always say money is not your problem. And if you look at it, if someone gave you money today that will pay off all of your debt without a plan, you will be in the same debt in the next five years. So it's not money that's your problem. It's your habits. It's your lack of financial planning. It's your lack of making sure that you have gotten rid of the bad habits and replaced them with good habits. Money doesn't solve one problem you have. It is the ideas and the things that you do with it that actually solves your problems. Now there's one that I found in people and is that they're afraid of money. People don't believe that they're afraid of money, but people start thinking, oh my God, money will make me a bad person. I'll start doing bad things. I'm afraid of money. But money doesn't make you do bad things. Uh, there, uh, one of the famous actors in the silent, era, silent film era said that money finally gives you the permission to be who you are. So if you're a terrible person, when you're broke, you just can't afford to be a terrible person. So if you fear that, if you're not a terrible person, don't be afraid of money because money won't make you a terrible person. Money is simply what we need in order to conduct business in our world. It used to be a time when we could do it with vegetables and fruit and cattle and, and gold even, but that's too cumbersome, so it's electronic now or it's a symbol. It is a symbol of what you need in order to conduct commerce. So that's all it is. It's no need to fear it. And if you find yourself uh, lying about your finances to your friends and your family to make yourself look really good, well, you have a toxic relationship with your money. People do not judge you by your money. People actually judge you by your character. And that's how they start to trust you, is through your character. So make sure that you are the person you say you are. You're doing the things that you say that you're going to do. And that's how you win the trust and love of friends and associates. Because if you think about it, some of the best times you've had have been when there was no money spent, when there was just conversation, there was just laughter, and there was just a good time. And if you look back at the memories that you have where you actually felt love, it had absolutely nothing to do with money. The 12th thing is if you don't like talking about it at all, you know, some people say, oh, it's impolite to talk about money. Well, it's impolite to talk about it all the time, but there are times in your life when you have to talk about money. Sometimes when you are 
getting ready to make a purchase. You need to talk about money, especially if it's a car. You need to talk about money. You need to talk about how you're going to finance it, what you're willing to pay for it. You need to talk about if you can afford to pay cash, how long you're going to uh, pay, who's going to drive it, who's going to be responsible for it. All of those conversations have to happen when you're about to make purchases. And you also need to know if there's, for whatever you buy or whatever you do, does it have a maintenance cost to it? because you need to plan on that too. So there are times when you're gonna have to talk about it. And if you're uncomfortable with, just write your questions down, write down the things that you need to do, and then you can speak from that paper. The 13th thing that will show that you have a toxic relationship with your money is you can't talk about anything else. So you're either one that can't talk about it at all, one who's lying about it, or one when every conversation is about money, about what you have, about what you're going, about what you did, about who did what, all of that. That makes you boring. No one wants to hear about that stuff. So, and if you've got to talk about it, what's happening to you is an emotional need to feel important, to feel loved. We are responsible for taking care of our own emotional needs, our own ego, and it is nothing to do with money. It's got everything to do with the emotions that we're going through. And the 14th thing is if you haven't taken a vacation, bought a car, updated your wardrobe in years. If you're still wearing those outfits from the 60s and 70s, newsflash, they just call and want the outfit back. So you need to give yourself permission to update your wardrobe, to Make sure you update your vehicle if you need to. Now, I'm not saying go run out and buy a new car because I don't believe in that either. Or take a vacation. We all need some vacation and recreation time. The whole idea behind recreation, if you look at the word, is it gives you a time to actually rest so when you come back, you are able to recreate things into your life. And without that rest and without that downtime, you will get worn out and you will not be able to make certain that you are living the life that you need to live. Now, if you notice, all these things are emotional driven. Toxic relationship with people, toxic relationship with money. So sometimes they'll show up in both places of your life and sometimes they'll show up in one or the other place. But where they show up is telling. So I need you whenever you are in the middle of a toxic relationship. And money is really the easiest because we don't understand uh, that we have actually an emotional relationship with money because money's not a person. And money shows up, the, the errors in our financial plan or with the use of our money shows up very quickly. So with that, I want you to keep that emotional log. And that emotional log, when you're using your money, I want you to write down how it's making you feel. What are you buying and how does it make you feel? Then the next step, if possible, I want you to walk away from the purchase and not make that purchase at that time. I want you to think about that purchase overnight and see if you still want that purchase. And I want you to make a, a list of things that you could do and make you feel good, things you enjoy, things that bring you happiness or laughter. I want you to write those down and think about and start to do those things. So when the urge comes to go out and just spend the money, 
do some of those other things instead first. Gives you time to think about what you're going to buy. And if it's clothes, I want you to ask yourself, do I have something like this already? And do I have something that this will go with that's already in my closet? Because all too often we buy clothes and we get home and realize that this is nothing we would, we would wear at all. And 80% of your impulse buys, you probably are not even wearing them or using them now. And you probably don't even know what happened to them. And if you think about that, then you will understand the emotion that's driving you. So I want you to spend time with yourself feeding your own emotions instead of using money as the crutch. So we're going to review a little bit about how to use your money. So we talked, I talked a little bit about 10% to charity or tithing, 10% in a retirement fund that you don't touch. You don't touch, period. You don't touch for anything. And then 10% so that you can start to accumulate enough cash for major purchases. That way you're not having credit card usage spiral out of control. And the other 70% goes to your household expenses. Now, when it comes to your expenses, I want you to do a real budget. Go back through your spending habits over the, night, over the last 90 days and categorize them. How much went to actual home or house or living expenses, uh, utilities, food? How much of that actually went to entertainment, uh, dry cleaning? How much went to work? How much went to food? And I want you to categorize that and look at those expenses and see where you can actually minimize some of those expenses. Perhaps one of the things you can do is maybe instead of buying coffee out, buy coffee at home and make it at home. Make sandwiches at home, maybe carry lunch to work. Uh, look at what you're uh, spending because I do know that you can spend a lot of money eating out and it gets away from you. As a matter of fact, if that $5 cup of coffee over about 20 years could actually end up being close to a half a million dollars if you want to look at the long term of it that way. So I, we are concluding this segment right now on detoxifying your relationships and there is another quote that I wanted to share with you before we get away from this and that is you are the power behind the relationship and behind the money so make sure you take care of yourself first oh those boys are much too much those boys are much too much we got the spirit. We're hot. We can't be stopped. We got the spirit. We're hot. We can't be stopped. We're going to beat them and bust them. The smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call or visit fatherhood.gov to learn more. The best financial advice I ever got was from my father who said simply, be prudent. I was thinking of buying a very lavish estate on the eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay, which I would have only used a few nights a year, and uh, my father said, be prudent, and uh, that was good advice. And he also gave me very similar advice, which was, I said, well, I could buy this house and not be anywhere near the neighborhood of poverty. And he said, good, because that's a neighborhood you never want to be in. The best money advice I ever got was from my grandfather, which was, you can't make money if you owe money. 
so he was a strict anti-debt guy, um, and I followed it. The first I, you know, first I could pay down or pay off all my debt um, in my mid twenties. I did, and never looked back. <laughs> Great advice. Hard to do though. Hi, I'm Iyanla bringing you your daily dose. How can you tell if you're in a toxic relationship? Well, if you have to ask that question, chances are you probably already know. If you're sad most of the time, happy sometime. If you're walking on eggshells, figuring what to do right and what you did wrong. And if you wake up each and every day asking yourself, why am I still in this relationship? Chances are it's toxic and chances are you need to get out. But the only way you're going to get out is to make the choice for you. Listen, a relationship is a place you need to go to grow, to learn, to love, and to heal. Not a place you need to suffer and struggle. If you are in a relationship where you're sad most of the time, happy sometime, I want to encourage you to make another choice. Greetings and welcome back to A Sip of Inspiration. I'm Stephanie Wilson-Coleman, The Empowerment Doctor. Usually during our shows, we have a segment where we take questions. Um, at this time, I do have one question, but we don't have a lot of questions. And that question was, when I paid off all of my debt, it actually hurt my credit score. Paying off your debt is what you want to do, but what you don't want to do is close the accounts. As long as you keep the accounts open, your credit score would, should not be affected because when they look at your credit report, they look at the amount of credit that you have available to you and then they look at how much debt you have. So they do a debt to income ratio. So you'll still be in a good place. So do not cut up your credit cards. Now when you do cut, pay off all of your credit though, you need to save that money. That money needs to be someplace. You need to have some emergency expense uh, that would be one bucket where you have emergency expense and emergency expense used to be defined as having enough to pay for three to six months of expenses in case of an emergency but now you need to have anywhere from six to twelve months of expenses depending upon say for example you're unemployed so it depends upon how long you think you're gonna have to be out of work some people can get back to work right away some people depending upon your profession uh, may not be able to get back to work for six months or 12 months. So you need to aim to have six to 12 months of expenses saved up. Now, once you have your expense cash set up, and that needs to be in a place where you can get to quickly in case there is actually an 
an emergency. Then after that, you can start to look at certain investment vehicles. Um, there's a lot available in books. There's a lot online about investment vehicles, and you need to determine if you're risk adverse or not risk adverse. So you, once you determine how risk adverse you are, that will determine how much you would invest. When you're deciding how to invest or who to invest with, I suggest that you talk to multiple people um, and get what their idea of a plan is and see which one feels good to you and feel free to mix it up and match it to what feels good to you. That's when you're going to really want to pay attention to how your body feels. Now, as long as you've got a lot of cash, there was not a lender in the world that said we won't lend to you because you don't have any credit card debt because the cash, uh, the way the market is swinging now, cash will speak volumes. So with that, we're going to go to our next segment. I looked at a TED Talk earlier this week by um, a young lady, and TED Talk was entitled The Danger of the Single Story. And she talked about the single story that's being told about um, Africa. She's from uh, Nigeria, I believe. And when she came to America, we have one vision of Africa. They're all poor and uh, it's always bloody and famine and they have war. And then I began to look at that TED Talk as it relates to the African-American community and Chicago specifically. So if you look at the news and you follow social media, the only story we tell is one that is about gang violence, about murders, black-on-black -black crime, guys with sagging pants, and dreadlocks that are unkept. And in our minds, all of a sudden, the saggy pants and the dreadlocks are solely responsible for all of the issues that we face in inner cities. But that's the danger of telling a single story. So I did a little bit of research. I looked at basic things that we don't talk about anymore. Um, basic things like college and high school graduations. Um, we believe that the majority of the African American men are in prison and that's not true. The majority of African American men are in college. There are well over a million African-American men between the ages of 20 and 24 in college, whereas there are about 677,000 African-American men in the same age group that are incarcerated. So that is a story that we never tell. And if we st start the story second-handedly, as this author mentioned, we start with the story about the amount of incarcerations so we run the danger of never telling the story of the double, number, double numbers of African-American men who are in college. If you start the story from, secondly, the, the high school uh, graduation rate is at over 30%, then you never tell the graduation rate of African-Americans at a high school is at an all-time high of actually 69%. 69% of all African Americans graduated from, from high school. That was in 2012. In 2015, 
that number was up to 72.5%. That's 72.5% of African Americans have graduated from college and high school. So in start of, in, instead of telling the story secondly, let's tell the, the second story, which is we have an all-time high in graduation. Now, the crime rate says that 90, approximately 93% of African Americans kill African Americans. Well, newsflash, 84% of white Americans kill white Americans. And statistics show that 90% of the people who are killed are killed by people who look like them because we tend to kill people who are in our neighborhoods. So we only see the story of the high crime rate and the crime rate in the African-American community, and we never see the story of the high crime rate in the white community. So we do need to be careful about the stories that we tell. Here are some raw statistics that there are 2.9 million, almost 3 million people in college, and of that, um, almost a half a million of African-Americans are in college right now. If we look at the story even further, we will see that according to the Census Bureau that out of all of the businesses, almost three million of those businesses are African American firms. And when you look at the percentage rate of ethnic groups by race that are in, that are educated, African American women have a higher percentage of education than any other group of people or race by race in this country. So I want to urge you to start to tell a better story, a bigger story, the whole story, and to be leery of the single story because it's the single story that disenfranchises a group of people. And to show you the effect of that single story, when we think of immigration, we think of Mexico or Mexicans. We don't think of all of the other immigrants that have entered this country. And statistically, immigration from Mexico, of Mexicans into the U.S., is at a negative level. We have more Mexicans returning home than actually are immigrating into the U.S. So it's that single story that has us focusing our attention every time we hear the word immigration to Mexicans. It's that single story that shows that when we think about crime, we turn our, pick, our imagination to African Americans, and that's the danger of a single story. So I ask you to go out and research your facts, verify your own facts. Stop accepting everything that you hear on the news and everything that you see in social media as a fact. Always remember that the person writing the story has an agenda and they have a message that they are attempting to get us to believe. It is up to you now to do your own research to decipher fake news, alternative facts from the real news and from what's really happening. I know I'm asking a lot, but you can look around your own neighborhoods and your own homes and you see more than that single story. We all have stories in our own families 
and our families are all similar of people who have beat the odds, people who have graduated from college. And as you hear tonight, those numbers are much, much bigger than we ever imagined it to be. So as we leave this segment tonight, remember, there is a danger in just a single story. And if you're only hearing the single story, I want you to be the one that decides that you're going to tell all facets of the story. For this is the sip of inspiration that people are needing. These are the stories that will lift our souls and cause our spirits to soar. These are the stories to ensure that we will beat the odds. So I want you to go forth today and I want you to go forth and I want you to find a mountain that you love and I want you to charge it. Do not go gentle into that good night. I want you to make today so good that yesterday is jealous. And above all, I want you to do it your way. I want you to remember that life is too short to drink cheap champagne, dream big and live the life that you have imagined. Bye.